0: Well, hey there, fellow sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriate in the Culture. On today's episode, we talk cohabitation and divorce rates. I'm Pastor Shane. I'll be your marriage counselor today as we appropriate some culture. So a recent study has been making the rounds which simply reinforces what a lot of long-standing research has said on the topic, that cohabitation before marriage makes you less likely, not more likely to have a successful marriage. Here's some discussion I saw on this. Two out of three new marriages are preceded by living together. But according to a recent study,
1: couples who live together before marriage are 50% more likely to get divorced. Wow. Is it smart to live together before marriage? I think it is smart. I don't know I don't know about that percentage. I don't know who they were polling, yeah. but I think it is smart. My husband and I lived together when we were engaged, okay? And we learned a lot about each other in that year. Stuff that is not a big deal, that should never be a deal breaker. And I actually think we learned a lot about each other, and it, was, it, was, it made getting married and coming home after the honeymoon, it felt like really comfortable for me.
0: So it's smart to move in together because you'll learn things about each other that are totally trivial and shouldn't be deal breakers. Um... Well, if what you're gleaning from cohabitating together before marriage is totally trivial and isn't a deal breaker and doesn't really matter, then why is it important to cohabitate before marriage? especially if the data indicates it makes your marriage more likely to end in divorce. And that's if it even gets to marriage. The Institute for Family Studies says, quote, The research tells us, for instance, that most cohabitating couples today end up not even making it to the altar. One recent study found that 54% of first-time cohabitating couples saw their relationship end in a breakup within six years of moving in together, whereas only 33% had tied the knot in the same time frame. Correct, most cohabitating couples don't even make it to marriage and end up like this.
1: I I think, no, you shouldn't get, you should, no. no. Really? (laughs) No,
0: no, I was was with someone for a
1: long time and living with them and thinking that it would grow into something that we're, right. we're going to finally get married and it didn't happen after 6 years of being with someone See? oh but you weren't already engaged though no we were going to be engaged but oh, it never, it never happened there, so right? i'm waiting when i when i should have just let his butt go cuz my husband was waiting somewhere around there you know yeah <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah. Right. yeah yeah, yeah. cuz you're sitting there waiting for someone who is not ready after 2 years I think that should be it. But it should I think, be, but I think what the mistake you made, you didn't have a date set. I had a lot of dates set, in your mind. <laughs> right. I had a Thank year. You. No, I said Thank it you. to him. I want, after a year and a half, I want to be engaged. I want well, to get you married. engaged, and then you move in together. No, see, I was already in there, so there you go. <laughs>
0: Now, that point about engagement is a valid one, and that is also borne out in the data. According to an IFS report, the risk of marital failure is especially high today for married men and women who moved in together without an engagement. Those who slid into cohabitation before getting engaged were markedly more likely to end up divorced or separated. 34% of those who cohabited prior to an engagement ended up seeing their marriage end compared to just 23% of those who did not move in together until after an engagement or the wedding. Engagement before cohabitation leads to better results, and marriage before cohabitation leads to even better results, which indicates then that there is a correlation between commitment and successful marriage. Shocking, I know. The initial moment of moving in together might seem like taking the relationship to the next level, but in actuality, it simply reinforces the lack of commitment. Every single day that you play marriage emphasizes distrust and a lack of commitment. What you're communicating to your partner is, you're a fake spouse, and I'm not fully committed to you. I need an easy out in case one of these trivial things I discover about you is going to be a deal breaker. Days go by, you're a fake spouse, and I'm not fully committed to you. Months go by, you're a fake spouse, and I'm not fully committed to you. Years go by, you're a fake spouse, and I'm not fully committed to you. Is it any wonder why that doesn't work? Psychologists Scott Stanley and Jelena Rhodes in their studies lay out some reasons why cohabitation doesn't work in these summaries. First, having a low commitment option available means that many couples move in too quickly without establishing the kind of jointly committed love that is the foundation of a good marriage. Likewise, this option also means that people can live together for reasons of utility. It's more convenient. It allows you to save money on rent and so forth. That ends up being a bad basis for moving on to marriage later. In fact, men and women who moved in together for such reasons are more likely to land in divorce court than those who do so in order to spend more time together. Second, cohabitation itself increases the odds that cohabiting partners adopt a less committed view of marriage, one which makes them more accepting of divorce. This low-commitment mentality makes them more vulnerable to marital dissolution when times get tough. Third, because so many cohabitations today do not lead to marriage, young men and women often end up accumulating multiple cohabiting partners before they do tie the knot. A study of women from Stanford University found that serial cohabitations put them at an especially high risk of later divorce when they do marry. Finally, when couples just slide into cohabitation rather than decide to be together, they risk getting locked into a relationship and possibly a marriage with someone who is not the best fit for them. About 64% of recently married Americans who lived together before marriage acknowledged this was indeed their path into cohabitation before entering marriage. Also, and this is a bit of a pet peeve, but if you've been cohabiting with someone for years and then you get married, You should not get a gift registry. Wedding presents are not to celebrate your marriage. That's not what they are. That's not why we did that. The tradition was born out of the fact that usually you had two young people getting married who don't have anything. So family and community would come together and go, here, here's some dishes because you don't have dishes. And and here's some things to help get you started in your life together. But if you're 50 and on your third marriage, no, you don't get a wedding present. Same thing with baby showers. First kid, yes, because you don't have anything, you don't know anything. So family and community come alongside and and give things to get you started. But by your fourth kid, no. Knock it off. Have some self-respect. Anyway, rant aside, what this study shows is that the Bible, once again, is right about everything. Commitment, then intimacy, is the path to success in marriage. But unfortunately, our culture's wisdom reigns, and it's affected even purported Christians. Pew Research found that 58% of white evangelicals believe that cohabitation is morally acceptable if a couple plans to marry. A 2012 General Social survey found that 41% of Christians believe that living together is acceptable even without marriage plans. Well, it's not morally acceptable, but our Christian brothers and sisters might be duped by progressive pastors like this one. There is not a single condemnation in all of the Bible of premarital sex. There is a mistranslation in the New Testament of the Greek word porneia into the old English word fornication, which does in fact mean premarital sex. But if you look up the Greek word porneia, it does not neatly translate to fornication. It's a mistranslation. Porneia in Greek is what we would call a junk drawer word that means all sorts of sexual immorality. And that category of what is sexually immoral is different based on what culture or values you have. So there is no clear condemnation of premarital sex in the Bible. Okay, so first of all, this is totally disingenuous because if what is sexually immoral is different based on what culture or values you have, as you said, then what difference does it make if porneia is a specific or broad term? You already suggested that sexual morality is relative and based on culture. So, even if pornea was a very, very specific term and concretely defined as premarital sex, you would still dismiss it as, eh, that was based on their culture and their values. Now, as to the Greek, yeah, the term is broader, which is actually why it's most commonly translated as sexually immoral, like this— Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Here's the ESV. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And here's the NASB. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. So that's not actually a mistranslation, but more to the point, just because it's a broader term, that doesn't mean that premarital sex doesn't fall within that term. And looking at the totality of Scripture, it's clear the Bible regards premarital sex as wrong. Here's some Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Her father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he dislikes her. Now he has slandered her and said, I did not find your daughter to be a virgin, but here is the proof of my daughter's virginity. Then her parents shall display the cloth before the elders of the town, and the elders shall take the man and punish him. They shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the young woman's father, because this man has given an Israelite virgin a bad name. If premarital sex is perfectly fine, then why would it be a slander to say that she's not a virgin? Why would that give her a bad name? From that text there is clearly an expectation of virginity before marriage and shame and disgrace if there's not. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. Okay, so that's the Old Testament understanding of premarital sex. What about the new? Well, let's take a look at this, 1 Corinthians. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Other translations put it this way. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And then it says this. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So, Paul is clearly saying, I think it's good to remain single, but if you can't control yourself, then get married. Control yourself from what? Hmm. I mean, it's almost as if he's talking about a sexual temptation and the remedy is marriage. What could that be? What could that be? It's a real puzzle. Or it's not at all puzzling, and we know exactly what he's talking about, and you're just being deliberately obtuse, getting into the minutiae of the Greek because you like your sexual sin and don't want to repent from it. But here's the thing. God is not a killjoy, and the sexual morality that he prescribes to us is for our good and our happiness and joy. And the more and more sociological studies are done on these topics, the more and more that bears out. Alrighty, well that'll do for today. Like, subscribe, leave a comment, I always like comments, leave a five-star review, follow me on the major socials, join my author's Facebook page, and I'll see you next week for more Appropriate in the Culture.